don't know if you experienced this, but I experienced like my feelings of hunger changed. Even just dropping salad, I stopped being like having this kind of famished, starving feeling. And I just got like cognitively hungry. So I just get slower and I wouldn't be able to bring up words and I'd get kind of like brain foggy. Like, oh, what's going on? Oh, I just need to eat more. But I wasn't like hungry like I'd been experiencing for the last like 25 years. Hey all, Jeffrey Wu on the mic again, and welcome to a meaty episode of the HVMN podcast, literally. We can't get enough of the carnivore diet. It's fascinating how such a strict diet consisting of just meat, salt, and water has garnered such a wide following in such a short time. This week, we welcome on Michaela Peterson to discuss how eating only meat healed her autoimmune symptoms and depression. Some conversation highlights include a discussion on the common critique that carnivore works purely because it's an elimination diet, how to incorporate the diet into a sustainable lifestyle, and a discussion on fitness versus nutrition and what should come first. If you're tuning in via audio, remember to hit that subscribe button for weekly episodes. For folks on YouTube, please subscribe and hit that bell to enable post notifications. Without further ado, let's get right to it. Michaela, thanks for coming on the program. Thanks for inviting me. Absolutely. So let's talk about the carnivore diet and I'll give you some context. I've really approached the carnivore diet from a performance interest. How do we get healthy people to perform even better? And I know that for your personal journey with the carnivore diet, it's been from a different perspective or a different approach coming from more of a therapeutic approach. Yeah, how to not die. <laughs> so for <laughs> folks that don't know your story, what's the high level synopsis here as we set the context? Super high level, I was diagnosed with juvenile rheumatoid arthritis when I was seven. And it got severe enough, even on like multiple immune suppressants, I ended up with a hip and ankle replacement when I was 17. I was diagnosed with severe depression in grade five. I started taking SSRIs for that. It wasn't diagnosed until I was 21, but idiopathic hypersomnia. So that was like excessive fatigue and got to a point where I was sleeping about 17 hours a day and never waking up properly. I had like other symptoms, rashes, skin problems, itching everywhere, severe brain fog. I was just getting sicker and sicker and sicker. And I was on more and more medications. And I started looking into diet when I was 22 or 23. I had never really heard of the whole ketogenic community or paleo community or anything. I just kind of came across some research about gluten disrupting your gut and kind of went down that path and then coincidentally tried somewhat of an elimination diet, which was coincidentally pretty low carb and had a lot of success that way. And this is all self-exploration, sort of like your own N equals one biohacking, if you will. I tried everything, especially for the fatigue. I went down like every nootropic. I tried any supplement I could get my hands on before I tried diet and I had most success with diet. So I did low carb for about a year with a lot of success, but not nearly where I needed to get to. And I had a baby and eventually ended up doing what I'm doing now, which is the carnivore diet, but specifically like really strictly beef, salt and water. So the most pure of of purists here. Yep. So how long have you been on the carnivore diets and subjectively, what are the characteristics that 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 you're seeing? So I started the carnivore diet. I went from really low carb to just meat. I realized 
even the carby vegetables I was eating were bothering me. So I went to meat and salad and I was doing that for about a year. And so I went from meat and greens to just meat December, 2017. So it hasn't quite been a year. Okay. And I went through, like you probably talked about it on other podcasts, but I went through like the adaptation period, even yes. though I was just like, I was already, I'd been in ketosis for years. So it wasn't a ketosis switch. It was switching to all meat, but I saw pretty significant improvements within the first week with joint pain I was still having and body itching. So with low carb, I saw improvements in like weight and I went off of my antidepressants and I went off of all medication. So I had already seen a lot of improvements doing like a ketogenic, very low carb diet, high fat. But during my pregnancy, I started to experience my autoimmune problems again to a lesser degree, but they were still there. And I, so I knew something was going on. And when I finally cut out the salad, the itching went away by day, like three. And my joint pain started to get better around the same period of time. So like within days of cutting out the vegetables. And then my anxiety that had resurfaced, that took about six weeks. And then I started getting a lot more benefits at about the five month period. So it's changed a lot. Yeah. And I know that in some of your previous conversations and podcasts, you're, we're starting to start to piece together why carnivore diets seem to be working. I know people are putting out theses that one, it's especially helpful for people with autoimmune issues or people with food allergies. Some people are throwing the notion that it's similar to a ketogenic diet, but more restrictive. Some are proposing that it's more of a caloric restriction phenomenon. You know, as someone you living through it, and I'm sure that you're also trying to understand it in a more rigorous way. How are you piecing together all different hypotheses on why this is working so well for you? It's changing. So when I first started it, I was very skeptical. And my theory was, well, people who switch over to carnivore are seeing improvements because they're just coincidentally cutting out all the foods that are irritating them. Right. So they don't have to be that restrictive, but they're getting rid of grains and sugar and processed food and soy and potentially dairy, depending on the carnivore diet. But then I tried to reintroduce foods a couple of times and they were pretty like benign foods, like organic olives, which are like very, 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 very low sugar. And I had an autoimmune response to that. A couple of times during this period, I've had pepper accidentally and I've had an immune response to that. So my theory started off with it was an avoidance thing. I don't think it has anything to do with calorie restriction because I think I actually started eating more calories when I switched over mm. just from the fat I'm getting. My best theory is that, and I think it's similar to Sean Baker's, we've evolved to eat this type of animal and that's what we're best suited for. And obviously there's something wrong with me or I wouldn't have these huge responses to uh, any other food. But I, I think maybe there's some genetic component and possibly a microbiome element, like from being born through a C-section and maybe years of antibiotic use. And I know you inherit a lot of your microbiome from your mother. So I'm assuming if you take antibiotics, then your kid is potentially going to have a less diverse microbiome. So maybe generationally over, I just got screwed over from that. Hmm. But right now I'm thinking this is probably the best diet for us evolutionarily. And I respond terribly to plant toxins. That's my best guess. Interesting. Yeah, I think the microbiome angle is interesting, although the microbiome does shift reasonably quickly in response to diet. So I know that when I was sort of shifting into the carnivore diet, the first week or so, there's definitely an adaptation period. And I think part two is that we don't need to have the microbiome be able to digest yeah. fiber, right? So if you're just removing and sloughing off that kind of microbiome, 
you would ostensibly see a shift in your microbiome. Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, I actually did microbiome testing throughout, like even before I started diet. So it's been pretty interesting. Yeah, I'm actually curious to hear about that. That's like what our audience is very interested in in terms of just the tracking, the quantitative measures here. When I first got my microbiome tested, I went through a naturopath. I wasn't missing any healthy strains, but it was all slightly less in quantity than he had wanted to see. Hmm. I had strep, but not badly enough for it to be a concern. Yeast did show up and it was high. So that was a concern. So I definitely had a problem there. I, I didn't have anything pathogenic, but there were a couple of strains that were iffy. And then my overall microbiome, there were fewer bacteria than were ideal. So that was on this basically standard American diet. Then I went low carb and I didn't have pathogenic bacteria, but the ones that were like not ideal, so strep was in that category, they went away. Hmm. So the next test I did, that was gone and yeast was gone. So, and I felt way better on low carb. I lost a lot of bloating. Like I lost weight. I went off all my medication, but my responses to bad food reintroductions were so ridiculously horrible that it wasn't sustainable. And it also, the other reason I think it might have something to do with microbiome is because I was doing fine on the low carb, like really, really well, as long as I wasn't introducing any foods. And then when I got pregnant, the foods I was able to tolerate all disappeared. So I started reacting to like salad and sweet potatoes and what I thought were all my safe foods. So you got super sensitive. It was like every plant thing because huh. I was doing fine. I, like I wasn't in ketosis the whole time when I was doing low carb. I was eating apples sometimes and pears and I was still feeling great as long as I didn't introduce anything wrong. Right. And then, yeah, as soon as I found out I was pregnant, I lost my ability to tolerate whatever I was eating. And it turns out during pregnancy, you do lose diversity with your microbiome. So I think something changed there. And then after the pregnancy, it never came back. Even though I was still doing, I was doing meat and salad at that point, I still couldn't tolerate the salad. So then I got my microbiome tested on the carnivore diet. And now basically everything they test for for that test is gone. None of the bacteria that digest any type of sugars are there. So I look severely depleted in everything, but all my symptoms are gone. Which stands to reason, right? Because like, your diet is very, very different from what they would expect in a standard yeah. American diet or standard Western diet. So that's yeah. almost to be expected. One thing that I think is interesting is that it sounds like a lot of your symptoms have improved a lot, but you're very, very sensitive now to a reintroduction of food. Why do you think that is? Do you think that because you're so refined on your diet now that it's more of a management of symptoms? 100%. So it's management to the point where I don't have symptoms. But if I do anything wrong, then I have all my symptoms come back. It's definitely management. Yeah. Yeah. I guess like where I'm going with that is that when people that are type 2 diabetic go on a ketogenic diet, oftentimes you'll reverse the requirement of insulin. People's blood markers improve. Their fasted insulin, their hemoglobin A1C goes down, all the typical markers you want to see. But the skeptics are saying, well, if you reintroduce sugar into their diet, are they still yeah. very insulin resistant? And, and all that story where it's like, okay, that's like a fair statement. It's a fair statement, but I mean, I think that's like saying if you stop eating a poison and then you reintroduce and you're still poisoned, like, yes, that's what happens to me anyway. So yeah, yeah. I don't particularly take that very seriously. I don't think I've solved whatever is causing an immune response. And my first theory was, I had the same theory that most people in the like paleo community have where it's heal your gut and then you'll be able to reintroduce more foods. Right. And I could never do that. Like I cut out anything inflammatory. I tried taking probiotics, which I can't tolerate at all. And I've tried a whole bunch of different. Like you just take some probiotic pills and 
you just have GI issues. Oh yeah. And, and oh. I didn't even just do pills. Cause I was like, maybe it's the cellulose capsule. So I found like company that does like pure powder. I tried, is it L lactate or D lactate free? Right. Like I, I tried really specific ones and I tried like the most minute amount in water or I tried making my own sauerkraut and I respond worse to green cabbage than purple cabbage. So I was making purple cabbage sauerkraut and taking a really tiny bit of the liquid. Like I tried with the most ridiculously small amounts and every time my body was just like, no. So originally I thought it was a gut issue, but if I get pure medication injected or intravenously, I have an immune response to that too. Huh. So it's definitely an immune system problem. It's not a gut problem. I was hoping it was a gut problem because I thought maybe I'd get less sensitive, but it seems to be an immune system problem. Yeah. I mean, if you're injecting intravenously I mean, then, that, yeah. and you're still responding, then... Yeah. It's way less bad that way, but yeah. it still happens. And then from performance side, I'm curious in that aspect, you know, Sean Baker is talking about, you know, still setting world records as a master, you know, rower. I'm curious on that aspect. It sounds like obviously a lot of the therapeutic benefits that you're seeking are there. A lot of the symptoms that you have had gone. I'm curious to hear about your anecdotal experiences around you feel like you're performing better in which dimensions are you performing better? Are you pretty biohackery with like blood markers, cholesterol, all of that stuff? How deep into the biomarkers are you? When I first started off, I was more interested in it, especially when I had this chronic fatigue because I couldn't wake up. And yeah. then I started looking at nootropics and seeing if any of that would wake me up. And then I started taking Adderall and man, that woke me up. So <laughs> I kind of got into it then. But since I've gone over to the all beef diet and all my problems have resolved. I haven't been as interested. I did get my blood work done and put it up on the blog, mostly because other people were interested and I knew right. I'd be asked about it. So I do have that. But no, I've been monitoring whether I stay in ketosis or not, but that's about it. Do just a finger stick? Yeah. Okay. I'm consistently in ketosis. I'm curious, what concentration ketones are you typically leveling out as? I went to, I guess it was Paleo FX. This was like six months ago. And they have the breath test, which seems to be interesting. An acetone meter, yeah. Oh, so it was an acetone meter. Yeah. Okay. That was measuring at five. Okay. Which I think is a lot, right? Again, I'm not as into this. Yeah. But- I feel like five was a lot, and that was pretty consistent. Yeah, acetone markers will be related. I didn't related. think it was acetone, whatever they had at Paleo FX, but okay. in order to breathe into it, does it have to be acetone? Yeah, breath meters okay. typically measure acetone. That's possible. Yeah, so beta-hydroxybutyrate and acetoacetate will be metabolized by the blood. There will be some trace amounts that is urinated out, but acetone is typically what one would measure with a breath meter. But I think there is some work trying to correlate acetone levels to blood BHB levels. Yeah. But it sounds like you are definitely breathing out acetone, which is a signal of ketosis. Yeah. The interesting thing is I think I was actually in deeper ketosis when I was including salad. I was just using the urine sticks, which I know aren't a great test, but they showed up at, in a deeper level when huh. I had the salad, which... I had all my symptoms, so it wasn't useful, but I think my level, level of ketosis might have been deeper. Interesting. I wonder if that could be because if you're going full protein, your macro ratio is higher on protein. But when you had salad, like you had a lot of fiber. Yeah. The macro ratio might overweight fat a little bit more. So what do you yeah. eat? So like meat, salt, water. But the thing that's hard for me, as for folks that I've been following along, I did a three-week carnivore block. Uh, cycled off of it, and now I'm entering another block of carnivore. The hardest thing for me is having to just shop for steaks all the time because I just go through meat so much. And I think uh, the first time around, I don't think I ate enough meat. Like yeah. you need to eat 
two to four pounds a day, essentially, of meat, especially if you're doing a lot of exercise, which I do a lot of training. So curious to hear how you manage it just from a lifestyle perspective, because it's not simple as being able to like go out to like a Chipotle or something, get a burrito like you got to prepare. Yeah. And I know a lot of people on the diet go to fast food places and just get patties, but I'm so allergic to everything else that I don't risk that. I switched over to chuck roast recently instead of ribeye, which Mm. is a third of the price and tastes almost just as good fried. So I've just been getting three pound chuck roasts and then cutting them up and then frying them during the day. I'm fortunate enough that I work from home so I can cook whenever I want to cook. But my day basically looks like, like I'll get up in the morning, I'll have a chuck steak. Okay. And then- Like a pound? Depends how much- Like half a pound? Less than a pound. Okay. More than half a pound. I end up eating about two pounds a day. If- I'm doing a lot of work. And even if it's not physical, if it's just on the computer and it requires a lot of brain power, then I'll have to eat a little bit more. Mm-hmm. But it ends up being just under two pounds and two and a half pounds a day. And then when you, you, you said you, you're frying, are you frying with? Tallow. Okay. So just yeah. pure beef, because I'll incorporate a little bit of butter in there just to like add a little bit of a richness. But you're using beef tallow as your oil. So it, it's like all beef. And I don't even eat very much salt anymore. I was eating salt and everyone tells you to eat salt. So I was eating a lot of salt and I was excessively thirsty all the time. <laughs> so I was drinking like four liters of water a day. My digestion was kind of screwy. Right. So I cut out all the salt just to see what would happen because my theory was if my electrolytes were going to get unbalanced, then I was going to get muscle cramps. And nothing happened except that everything tasted like nothing for like a month. <laughs> so I don't even eat very much salt anymore. It's mostly beef and water. And now I only drink maybe like a liter and a half a day or two liters instead of four. So that's where I'm at now. Mostly chuck roast. Interesting. And then you mentioned you had your blood panel done. What are the highlights there? I guess most people would be interested in LDL cholesterol, HDL cholesterol, triglycerides. So this is in millimoles per liter. Mm -hmm. LDL 1.75. Okay. HDL 1.37 and triglycerides 0.66. Interesting. So yeah. millimole is the metric unit in America. We typically use milligrams per oh, deciliter. So it's a times 18. Not particularly convenient. I mean, they seem like pretty reasonable. Just doing some mental math here in terms of like relatively low LDL, even nice HDL LDL ratio. It's not too crazy. Yeah. And I mean, I'd never tested it before and I'm young. So my doctor was wondering why I wanted to test it in the first place. But yeah, everything that he tested showed up completely normal. Did your doctor know that you had just eat, just been eating steaks for last year? <laughs> I explained it <laughs> when I told him I wanted to test for cholesterol. Yeah. Did you blow his mind? He's been following me since I needed a hip and ankle replacement. Okay. So he's seen me like really, really ill on a lot of medication. So he's not entirely sure what to think, but he also saw me cut out grains and then I was coming to him and going, oh my God, I'm allergic to almonds. Oh my God, I'm allergic to soy. Like, oh, what's going on? And I went to see a whole bunch of immunologists because I was having these food reactions and a lot of these weren't showing up as true allergies. Turns out nut, I did develop an allergy to nuts, but like soy wasn't showing up as a true allergy, anything like that. So he's been watching this and he was okay with the no grains. He said, you know, people don't need grains. And now he's saying, look, there's a lot of evidence that maybe high carb diets aren't good for people, but I'd be a lot more comfortable if you're eating fruit and vegetables. <laughs> I said, well, no, but I still want to test the cholesterol. Yeah. I think that's like one of the things that 
just has opened my eyes a little bit around just being open to community experience. I think that some of the same critiques that people had with fasting or ketogenic diets is happening with the same kind of pattern with carnivore diet. Yeah. And again, like if you look back of why fasting seems kind of insane now, but cultures have fasted for thousands of years. The three meal a day system is really an artifact of an industrial revolution where you had yeah. like factory labor shifts. And then that got me thinking, why is fiber such an important part of the diet? Or what is that story? And then you realize that there was Mr. Kellogg who oh, wanted no. to uh, yeah. sell more cornflake with a lot of fiber content in there. I'm curious from the historical perspective, but also broadening up open into like the broader sociological phenomenon. I mean, what do you make of the whole, I would say like hype or fad cycle around carnivore? I mean, you've been profiled in a number of magazine articles around being a carnivore icon, if you will. What do you make of it in terms of the historical path of, of these diet changes? Historically, I think there were a lot of scientists that did things that they shouldn't have done nutrition-wise, and I don't think any of them realized the repercussions that that would have. Right. So I think mostly it was just people not doing what they should have been doing. So I, I don't think there was some big conspiracy, but there were scientists that shouldn't have published certain things or or shouldn't have not published certain things. And that did screw over like generations because now we're eating wrong. Right. So historically, it's a pretty big disaster, but I don't think anybody was thinking that it would be this much of a disaster. As for the response now, I can understand where people are coming from because like when I was really sick, especially with the depression, I had people come to me in kind of a snobby manner and say, well, have you looked at diet or tried exercising? And it's like I had looked at diet and tried exercising and I was too sick to exercise and I had tried not eating sugar. I went on a candida diet one time and I went really strictly no sugar, but I didn't know what to do. So I had, it's like not like I was surviving off of junk food and I was still really sick. So when people came to me and said, have you looked at diet? It was mostly insulting. But the idea, like even when I heard Sean Baker, that's how I heard of the carnivore diet. Even when I saw him, even though I knew I was reacting to the plants I was eating, I still thought, well, there must be a different explanation than this is how we're supposed to be eating. Right. So when there are a lot of negative articles about it, I get it. It's really strange. And we've been told for decades that certain things are healthy and people are very attached to their foods. And certain foods are super addictive that people don't realize. So you can kind of see how people get that emotional attachment to things. So I don't blame people for being upset about it. It's pretty strange. And it's strange that it works so well. And it's like the most ridiculous sounding diet that there is. So yeah. I get it. And then I think one of our audience members had an interesting question where this carnivore diet has been tied towards different other sub-communities. It's been associated with the alt-right. Uh, I know a bunch of Bitcoin crypto enthusiasts are all like Bitcoin carnivore maximalists. I think yeah. the alt-right sort of, I guess the white nationalist associations are even more, I guess, dangerous or cynical. But what do you I, make of that kind of association? I mean, to me, it's just like, that's ridiculous. Like people are just eating stuff. Like It's ridiculous. Uh, I think the whole alt-right thing and I might be wrong, but because my dad's been associated with the alt-right and then he went on Rogan and said he's on a carnivore diet, I could be wrong, but I think some of it came from that because then it's like, oh, Jordan Peterson, the alt-right person only eats meat. Now <laughs> eating meat is alt-right. Maybe it originated somewhere else, but I'm sure that didn't help. Right. With, and obviously that's insane. There's like two camps of people really who go on this and one of them are like me and they're at the end of the rope and they're 
like half dead and desperate. And the other half are generally fairly bright people who are very open and interested in becoming faster, smarter, better at whatever they're doing. Yeah. So yeah, I think, I think trying to associate it with certain groups of people is just another way to insult it. It's funny that the cryptocurrency guys are getting into it, but I think a lot of those people are very smart and very open. Yeah. So why not give it a shot? There's definitely some correlation towards like openness to new ideas and, and trying things, right? Definitely, yeah. One thing that I thought was interesting from your Joe Rogan conversation was that there was this big argument around just exercising, just go out and exercise and, and make your day better versus I think what you were kind of arguing was that, look, there's just some malaise that someone has if they're not eating the right diet. And you can't just tell them that they're lazy. I think that's an interesting story. And I think the added nuance is that there's a lot of just core science, especially in exercise science, showing that having that mental resilience or mental energy is a big driver of how you work out. So curious to hear if you have any added discussion or thoughts around that area. Well, it was funny because later in the Joe Rogan podcast, he said that if he eats, I think it was ice cream, then he's like stuck on the couch. <laughs> and my point was there are people who that's just their life. Yeah. So before I went low carb, when I started taking Adderall, I could go to the gym. But before the Adderall, I, I didn't have any energy. Like I couldn't do school. I couldn't wake up. I was falling asleep driving all the time. So if you're at that point and not even to that point, there are other people who aren't at that point, but it's still doesn't mean you have enough energy to go to the gym. And I think some people who are in that camp, it might be harder on their bodies to get more stressed out because going to the gym does stress your body out. Mm -hmm. And there are obvious benefits, especially if you're doing well. But if you're not doing well, then that might not be a good idea. And I think I was in that category. So when I was talking to Joe Rogan, I was really mentioning like there are a lot of sick people, especially in North America and a lot of overweight people. And I don't think that that is an exercise problem. I think that that's a diet problem. And I think that naturally, as soon as you're healthy, you're going to want to exercise. Like when I switched over to this diet, I could feel the urge to run. And that just came eventually. So it was like energy that I wanted to spend doing things. But I never had that before. But obviously, in order to like push yourself to go to the gym, it does take, Real you know. power discipline, right? It does take willpower, like for sure. And some people are going to have that more naturally than other people. And you do have to, you know, force yourself to get to the gym. But there are a lot of people who need to fix their diet first. Yeah, I agree. Of course, there's a lot of value in willpower and discipline. But I think more and more people are seeing and researchers, Tim Noakes, Samuel Morcar are showing that the brain and the mood state that one's brain is dictates how much energy and how much performance one has in terms of being able to exercise. So I think that one shouldn't just discount people by saying, hey, like my diet is so messed up that I'm just like not in a good place where I can even go out and exercise, even if you have so much willpower and discipline, like your body's yeah. just in a broken place. So I think, yeah. I think we need to be thoughtful about, okay, let's not just overly criticize people that to not work out. Like we should be understanding that there might be some other factors there. For sure. Yeah. And there are also people who have an unbelievable amount of willpower and are working out and are still overweight. Like right. I've been speaking to a number of generally middle-aged men that run. And they're like, I don't know what's going on. I can't lose this weight. And I'm running 10 miles a day. It's like, those aren't people who are out of shape. Those are people who are having food problems. Right. So where do you think this goes next? I think there's a lot of interest in the community to look at 
randomized controlled trials, doing more rigorous studies. Within any science phenomenon, there's clearly enough signal here that there's something interesting being observed through all these N equals ones and these, all these case studies. I know Sean was mentioning in our conversation that they're looked at researchers looking to do some trials. What are you sensing in broader community here? Trials would be great. Now that we have all these like anecdotal reports, I don't think it's more dangerous testing this out to treat things than it is testing a pharmaceutical medication. So obviously it should be looked at seriously. The doctors in Hungary are doing a pretty good job. So that would be something that would be interesting. And we obviously need more research and we need more doctors on board to stir up interest. I've been running kind of a grab for information off of my blog that I started before I started the carnivore diet. And it basically is a list of kind of random autoimmune symptoms that people experience. Sometimes like everything's on there, bleeding gums, floaters, hmm. mouth ulcers, like dry skin, just a random bunch of information. And I think 10,000 people have filled it out. And it also has diet questions on there. So like vegetarian, carnivore, dairy-free, gluten-free, grain-free, keto. So I, I'm going to do something with that. Look through piles of information sometime next year. But yeah, randomized controlled studies would be great. I imagine that you didn't find yourself when you're seven thinking that you'd be behind a thought leader in the carnivore community. I don't imagine that you thought that you would be spending a lot of time doing this. God, no. Um, but now that you're in this position, where do you see yourself sort of positioning and what do you want to actually do given this platform now? I don't know. I've been trying to figure that out. I was really not into diet. Like my mom was always dragging me to naturopaths before I looked into diet and I just hated it because it, nothing ever helped. And I don't know, I was one of those people who thought gluten-free was a fad. It made me angry. So that's why I can kind of understand where some of these people are coming from because it did used to make me angry for, I'm not entirely sure why, just the idea of diet. So I definitely didn't expect myself to be in this kind of situation. I think what I'm going to do is I interrupted my degree so I dropped out of psychology because I was like half dead. And then I started taking Adderall and thought, oh my God, if I don't figure out what's wrong with me, I think I'm going to die because I was really, really, really sick. So I went back to university and then I had a baby. So I have like a year and a half left of my degree. I went back for Bachelor of Science. So I'm going to finish that next year. Mm -hmm. And then I don't know what I'll do after that. I'd be interested to just have the nutrition title. I'm not going to agree with anything they're teaching, so I'm not sure if there's a point of going back to school. Um, I'm writing a book. The deadline's in May, so it'll come up sometime after that. But that's the carnivore diet how-to guide. Exciting. And I'm doing consults, mostly people just asking me how many times a day I eat. That's, that's <laughs> basically it. But I'm trying to put all that information in a book so that people can just go to the book right. and recipes, stuff like that. But it sounds like it's pretty simple. If, if it's chuck roast, two pounds a day. You'd think that? Yeah, yeah, it is simple. And if I just have a 20-minute explanation, I can get through a lot of it. But it's such a dramatically different way of eating for a lot of people that they need specifics. And some people go through a pretty horrific transition period, especially if you're not starting from a ketogenic diet or a grain-free diet, going from like eating pizza to only eating meat. Well, some people can't seem to do it. Yeah. So I'm trying to figure out a way to make that easier on people. That's cool. it, it is a simple idea. Yeah, yeah, just eat meat. But then they're like, how much? And I don't know if you experienced this, but I experienced like my feelings of hunger changed. Even just dropping salad, I stopped like having this kind of famished, starving feeling. And I just got like cognitively hungry. So I just get slower and I wouldn't be able to bring up words. And I'd get kind of like brain foggy. Like, oh, what's going on? Oh, I just need to eat more. 
but I wasn't like hungry like I'd been experiencing for the last 25 years. That's very similar to my experience as I did a lot of fasting or eating keto or carnivore where it's a different sense of hunger. I think you just realize there's like a mental state of yeah. being hungry and like a physiological need of being hungry. And I think you just get more attuned to that as you're yeah. experimenting with diet. For sure. So I'm trying to put all that kind of random information that you learn in a book, like the feeling of fullness changed. So instead of feeling like physically unable to eat more, it's just like you don't, you have to eat until you can't eat anymore. Because lots of people when they first start off don't eat enough. I'm talking to like people who are 6'2", six 6'2", two, six two men, and they're eating two pounds a day. Yeah. And they're like, I don't like I'm tired. I don't feel very good. And it's like you're hungry. So you switch over and you don't even know how much you're supposed to eat anymore because our bodies are so confused. So I'm just trying to squish that all into a book. We'll see. Yeah, no, that's pretty sensible. And that I think was my mistake for my first carnivore block because it's just like not easy for you mentally to realize, okay, I'm eating two ribeye steaks a day. That seems like a lot of food. Yeah. You actually count the calories. It's like low 2000 calories. Yeah. And if you're, you know, a larger man who does a lot of exercise, you want, you know, 2,500, 3000 calories a day. Yeah. So you are just under caloric. And that's what I think was some of the challenge I had initially transitioning in. You've, like, you don't think you need to count calories, but like you need to count calories, to make sure you're having enough calories. It's like the opposite problem. Yeah. People seem to, they like cut out all the extra food and just eat the amount of meat they were eating before right. if it was a meat heavy diet and then right. it's, it's not enough food. Yeah. Pretty interesting. Yeah. And then how's the consult stuff going on? I remember reading some articles where people thought it was interesting that you don't have like a professional background in nutrition, yeah. but clearly you're able to provide value for people to come to you to ask for advice. Yeah. Here's the here. How do you respond to the haters? And what does a typical experience look like when you're helping some of these clients out? So respond to the haters. It did stress me out at the beginning. So I was like, what if somebody sues me? But then I talked to, but then I did it anyway. And I, I talked to a whole <laughs> bunch of people and the calls are interesting. They're kind of similar. So I'm less stressed out now because it's mostly people who've already decided to try the diet and have a bunch of questions. Right. I think people were worried that somebody with some horrible disorder is going to come to me and I'm going to go, oh, it's treatable with this diet. Right. Which isn't what's happening. Like what's happening is there are people and they say, I have these problems. I've decided to try the diet. How bad is the adaptation period going to be? How much do you eat a day? How do I cook meat? Like a lot of people don't know how to cook meat. Where do I go? How do I make it cheaper? A lot of it's that. And a lot of people just want to talk to somebody who's eating this way and thriving. So you're not giving medical advice. You're giving practical tips, essentially, for people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That makes a lot, a lot of sense. It sounds like very sensible. And I think we've seen that in our community where people just want to talk to people that are trying fasting or trying ketogenic diet. And I think part yeah. of it's just like, okay, not a lot of people around me are doing this. Who can I talk to? Yeah, just eliminating anything from your diet is a bit isolating. Like even if you go gluten-free, you're going to get people who come up and tell you you're a moron. Right. But cutting out like everything except for meat is on an entirely different level. So yeah, they're isolated and they're generally trying to get healthier and they're getting help from all their friends. So they just want somebody to talk to. Yeah, I think it's an interesting aspect. Like, do you have some good stories around going out with friends and people are ordering at an Italian restaurant or something, people are getting pasta. How do you respond to that? Do you just ask for a piece of meat 
Do you just not eat? What are the social situations? I think that's like a non-obvious question that a lot of people yeah. don't think about when you're actually implementing this in your lifestyle. Because I personally have been to dinners where I'm just like drinking water or drinking soda water. And it is a little bit socially strange. So curious yeah. to hear about your anecdotes there and how do you deal with it and how do you explain it and all of that? Yeah, the social aspect sucked, I would say, for about a year and a half. This is when I was doing really low carb. So I was basically doing a lot of meat and very specific vegetables. So it was really annoying to order out. Yeah. And at first, I just didn't go out, which wasn't a good way to do it. Right. And then I started going out. But it was really anxiety provoking and I hated being rude. Like sometimes they'd serve me something that like was like covered in soybean oil. I'm going to be half dead for a month. Like I can't eat it. But it felt so rude to tell them that they'd done something wrong and to give it back and things. But now that I've been doing it for a while and now that my anxiety is completely gone, it doesn't bother me at all. And also going to carnivore is actually has made going out a lot easier because before I'd have to go out, I'd order the steak and then I'd order like a salad made with specific ingredients, which was really annoying or specific vegetables. And now it's like I want ribeye steak, medium rare, cooked with no oil, grilled with no seasoning, absolutely nothing on it. And they're pretty good. So generally I try and go to steakhouses. So if I'm going out with friends, like I'll go to the steakhouse. Otherwise, yeah. I'll meet up afterwards, generally. Okay. I do go out, like if I can get invited to a dinner party or something, I'll go and I won't eat. And people are pretty used to it. And because I've successfully and really visibly clearly treated how sick I was with this diet, I don't get much hell. Right. Like even though they're like, that's weird, they can still see the difference in me. So there's not much of an argument. I'm sure it's more difficult for people who just suffer from anxiety or they're just trying to improve things. So they don't have as much of an excuse. Like my excuse with, I don't have an autoimmune disorder anymore. Can you tell? (laughs) They're just like, yeah, okay, that's just Michaela. Yeah, I think to just assuage folks out there who are considering it, I don't think it's that serious. People will maybe rib you a little bit, but But, they don't actually care if you're eating or not eating. They don't, they don't. And you get, you get used to it. Like, yeah, Pretty quickly at the beginning, especially if you're anxious, it was horribly anxiety provoking, but it doesn't bother me at all. And none of my friends care. Cool. Any other questions or topics we should cover at this point? I mean, I think we covered a a broad swath here. So you got the book coming out next year. You got consults. You're going to go back and and finish off the degree. What else is exciting? I mean, what do you, I guess, raising a a newborn is probably a lot of work as well. What else is on the docket? I think I'm going to start a YouTube channel. I keep saying that though and not doing it. So I might have to cut down on consults because I also need time to write a book and I'm working for my dad and that takes most of my time. What do you do for your dad? I basically like manage his life. I'm on call. Like for the last two days, I've got calls from four in the morning from he's in Sweden or Switzerland. So it's like constant. It's crazy. So that's mainly what I'm doing. But I'm then I'm trying to like keep my blog up to date. And it's on WordPress, which is kind of god awful. So I need to like revamp that. So yeah, there's a lot I'm figured out if I use Google Calendar and schedule every slot in my day, then I get a lot more done. <laughs> so that's what I've been doing. But so far, no, it's I have this job, the consults, the blog, the book, and then I'm going to get all that done and go back to school while eating carnivore. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Thanks so much for taking the time to jump on the program. I think it's really helpful to hear a real story of how this is applied in an everyday person's life. So thanks for the time. A fun conversation. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you. 
Thanks for tuning in this week, everyone. As always, please send my producer Zill and I any feedback or topic or guest suggestions to podcast at hvmn.com. We read every single message and work really hard to make this program valuable and educational for you. Also, don't forget our ongoing special offer. By leaving a review on iTunes, you can get a one-month supply of our new Omega-3 product, Kato. Simply rate us with a written review on iTunes, screenshot it, and send it out to our email hotline. Again, that email is podcast at hvmn.com. Appreciate the love and support, and I'll see you again next week.